0: Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Reverend, Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country with a pedal to the metal with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church. How mediocrity is destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message.
1: Well, thank you, Mr. Barker. I appreciate it. What an honor it is to have one of the uh, premier voices in America, actually around the world, to be my announcer. That's an awesome privilege, quite frankly. And he—you uh, can hear him. You can't—you can't watch television. ...for uh, an hour and not hear his voice somewhere. Yet yeah. it's not the same voice. He does many, many other voices. So he is quite an amazing, amazing individual, an amazing talent, and I'm privileged to have him. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, this is Sundays with Dr. Sean. Tonight's episode or broadcast is entitled Hugging Terrorists, the Church's Mission. And in case you've been asleep, I mean really in deep REM sleep the past few months, uh, here is what the church, air quotes through Hussein Obama's doing in the name of the church. So anyway, I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna go through a lot of stuff tonight. I'm going to get started pretty quickly right off the gate. We have wonderful food. Uh, unbeknownst to us, it was apparently chicken night at uh, our Cahalas. We had lots and lots of chicken dishes, and they were all very good. We also had some homemade uh, macaroni and cheese with stewed tomatoes on top, just like Southern folk like to do. I like that. And I guess uh, Pennsylvania Dutch do it that way, too. But we have a praise. Carson uh, ate his first Thanksgiving dinner with his family in five years. Amen. That is huge. Those of you who follow this program know that we've been praying for Carson for a long time. Very, very sick young man. Praise God. He was able to eat Thanksgiving dinner with his family. And that is awesome. That's awesome. So the question is, Christians, oh, by the way, by the way, uh, December 15th is a huge day in this ministry. Um, December 15th, uh, a man that we've been praying for, my dear friend, Chris Cahalan, will undergo the Whipple procedure. If you don't know what that is, Google that. He has pancreas cancer, and uh, it's pretty far in advance. But this Whipple procedure uh, can save his life, and I'm believing that it will. Uh, But it's tough when all your buddies who have cancer, uh, specifically pancreas cancer, he just lost another good friend of his to the same thing. It's it's just mind-boggling, really how it is but it's, uh it's it's tragic but i believe that chris is going to gain victory please if you will continue praying for my good friend since kindergarten uh eric he uh he is having uh dialysis again his kidneys have failed and so uh we're just praying that something can be done for him and if for nothing else that he can be made very very comfortable he says he's in no pain so um love him he's he's my buddy He's my good friend. He's the coolest dude I've always said. He is the coolest dude I've ever known. He's just cool. You ever know somebody like that? Super, super cool. He's just cool. He's naturally cool. So should Christians fight terrorism or should we just hug? Should Christians kill terrorists or should we just hug them? Last week we began a new series of messages on how the Christian prepares for what is to come. How many of you know here in the audience and those of you in radio land, uh, by the way, last week we had forty six thousand listeners to our Sunday broadcast, and our Monday broadcast is twelve thousand under six hundred thousand so so far, live and download so we 're very, very excited about that so we We began the series uh last week, and those of you how many listened to the monday show okay so the monday show um is really pivotal uh we're we 're trying to use that time. Excuse me while I take a Rubio break. I just drank some water for those of you who are not politically inclined. A Rubio break. Um, so whoop, I forgot to open chat. I'm sorry about that. I always forget. Um, and but, but I'm glad that I forgot that because that reminds me. Uh, last week on Monday's show, boy, did we have a vibrant, vibrant chat. And I don't know if that's your thing. Um, it's very difficult for me to do the show and and go full on for t- two hours and maintain the chat because it's just it's just a difficult thing to do. It's a lot of multitasking. But if you hear clickety clickety in the background when i um, then that's me responding to uh, Jerry or Bob or uh, Craig or um, or Steve. So many. I mean, are great. Great, really great contributions. And we have our occasional whack, whack job, nut job on there. Uh, You know, and we try to bounce those. We try to really, I try to really, you know, when they come on, I try to, you know, hit the button. But uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to Monday's show. It it was a very uh, in-depth and intense follow-up to uh, last Sunday's message. And so I want you to be really, really caught up. But we're kind of going to kind of going to catch up a little bit tonight. But tomorrow is going to be very very hard hitting. I'm going to try something new uh, and be hard hitting. So last week we did begin this series on how the Christian prepares for what is to come. Now I want to say I, I was saying the Christian and Jew preparing for what is to come, and um, or maybe the Christian and Jew and Mormon. But you know what? Most Jews, Orthodox Jews uh the non uh liberal ones and almost all Mormons that I know and, and for whatever reason I have a huge Mormon following are very well prepared for what is to come. They believe scripture and they have prepared accordingly. They have uh the mandate on the man in a Mormon family is to have at least a year's food for his entire family and his neighbor on his left, his neighbor on his right, and his neighbor across the street which is a very, very powerful testament. By the way, welcome to our guest tonight. We're glad to have you here. Um, Your ears may be burning and stinging by the time it's over, but hang with us, man. We'll be through to the finish. So the catalyst was, of of beginning this series, the Paris attacks and the subsequent pseudo-intellectual back and forth, of what is the moral and right, moral and correct approach to those attacks, as well as the refugee crisis and appropriate Christian approach. I guess if we were going to do a bracelet, we would say, what would Jesus do with the Syrian refugees, and what did he instruct us to do? And I know that's too long for a bracelet, unless you're a really big person. So we'll hold off on that. But what would the Christian do with the Syrian refugees, and what did he, what did Yeshua Hamashiach instruct us to do? That's an important question, because it's really bouncing around. I'm going to hit on that a, a couple of times. But before we jump into uh, this, and I'm going to be very specific tonight. Uh, I want to emphasize that while there is overlap in the ways that both Christians and non-Christians prepare, there are some very real and very significant differences, and that's important to know. I'm going to explore both of those with you. We're going to talk about both, the Christian and non-Christian, how they would prepare. I'm going to give you a secular response, which is not necessarily without merit. There's value to be gained from that, but also the person of faith response as well. As a Christian and Jew, God has given you some very real weapons, because I know we have Jewish people here, uh, and we have many, many Jewish people uh, from the, uh, a, a group that I belong to uh, that listen to this show every, every Sunday or it's broadcast every Sunday. Uh, but every Christian and Jew has been given some very specific, very real weapons and protections that the rest of the world just simply doesn't have. In fact, the rest of the world has no idea what I'm talking about when I say that we as Christians and Jews have been given very specific, very powerful weapons and protections, if only we use them. Remember, God isn't surprised by where we are today. This is not a shock to God that here we are as a nation and, quite frankly, as a world. God's not sitting there going, wow, this caught me off guard. Yeah, (laughs) whew, man, I wish I'd had a V8. Remember also, although there are some V8s over there, very high in sodium, Sean, very high. The V8 people be after me now. Remember also that, that you are, this is important to remember as Christians and Jews, that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. And that's not simple hyperbole. That's not just saying stuff to say it and to get you to go, ooh, well, what's he going to say next? It Absolutely the truth. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. Now I will say this, first and foremost, uh I'm the probably the most jacked up person in this room. I've got a mountain of hurt habits and hang ups. I've done things that would shock you. Um and I still struggle every day with being a mortal human and being a jacked up human being. And I know that God will redeem me and He loves me anyway. Uh and it's a it's a daily process. We work every day driving forward to be what what he wants in us, what he cares to shape us. But there's stuff that we have to do, and one of the first things we have to realize is, look, we're in this world, but we're not of it. We're to be sanctified, set apart for God. Doesn't mean we're not going to fail. Doesn't mean we're not going to do wrong, because we are human. We are going to. That's just the the way it is. But I need you to understand a deeper fact, and and When I say that we're in the world and not uh, of the world, it's really important for you to understand something as part of that. Not only was my spirit not designed for this world, but my body wasn't. That's a whole different discussion. My body and my spirit and my mind and my heart and my soul was designed here to be temporary. My body, most assuredly, designed to be temporary here. My soul goes on. My soul lives on. And and when I come into the presence of Christ, which for any one of us could be in a moment, in a flash, as quick as the lightning goes from east to west across the sky, we could be gone. We could be taken. The fact of the matter is, is our bodies were designed to be temporary. Our souls are designed to be sanctified by God when in his presence. Listen, never forget this. In all of this that we talk about, never forget this truth. This is very, very important. Ephesians 6, 12-17, For we are not struggling against human beings, but against the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers governing the darkness, forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So take up every piece of of war equipment God provides, so that when the evil day comes, you will be able to resist. And when the battle is won, you will still be standing. Folks, I want you to take note of some words that I used there. We're not struggling against human beings. We're not struggling against the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers governing this darkness. But the cosmic powers governing this darkness, make no mistake about it, folks, Islam... And ISIS specifically is evil. There's no two ways around it. We can try to uh, be kind of kindergarten, bullying about it, but the fact of the matter is, it's true, it is. If you are a true adherent to Islam, true Islam, a Surah 9 Muslim, then you absolutely follow an evil cult of death culture, not faith. But I want you to I want you to take note in verse 13 it says to so take up every piece of war equipment God provides. Well why would God use an analogy such as that war equipment if in fact war equipment hadn't been something very important in biblical history in the formation of us and as Israel as a nation, God's chosen people. War, I would remind you and I will remind you again if you forget, has been an important, very important tool. we we'll talk about just war in a little bit. I have a lot to say about that. So it says take up every piece of war equipment God provides so that when the evil day comes, it doesn't say if the evil day comes, it says so that when the evil day comes. Folks, this is not a surprise to God. God has known all along this is coming. And he's just been waiting. And I'm sure he's been praying for us uh, Yeshua Hamashiach, Ruach Hakodesh, the Son of God, the Holy Spirit, is our count. He's been pleading and praying on our behalf to the Father. Well, oh, I hope they get it. I hope they get it. I hope they they grasp the truth, the reality that is. Hello to our listeners in upstate New York, by the way, and also France. Our our uh, our, our message last week, uh, I. Th- was being listened to only two people in France, two of which, by the way, if you're listening tonight, I, I'm again, we as a group are sorry for your loss, um, but we pray for you as a nation. It sounds like Hollande has gotten it better than Hussein Obama has gotten it, that he realizes, hey, you know what, we're at war, and we're in this war to win um, But apparently, when I looked at the downloads, the country of origin download, uh, we had 13 downloads uh, of last week's broadcast, the Sunday broadcast from France. So that's cool. They they shared it with their friends, and I like that. I like that. That's very helpful. So it says so that when the day will come, so that when the day comes, you will be able to resist, folks. Resist is a very important word to Christians. There is a a, a belief afoot in the, and I'm gonna t- I'm gonna specifically name some of these uh, uh, faith communities, which are nothing more than community organizers cloaked as a church so that they can take advantage of 501c3 and a bunch of different things. They take advantage of it, and Christians and Jews, we don't take advantage of it, and it's foolhardy. And we get afraid of the government taking it away from us. I'm a big believer of tell them what they can do with the 501c3. Um, you know, community grievance organization, yeah, exactly. So it says when the evil day comes, you'll be able to resist. And when, and when the battle is one you will still be standing. So many folks, so many folks think that because we are Christians, or we are Jews' story, but uh, as Christians, people who are uh, who, uh, who are not covered by the Jewish covenant, um, when we place our faith in Christ and we we say that that I believe that you are the risen Savior, that you are the Son of God, the Holy Spirit come to earth as a perfect baby and a perfect. Man, you lived 33 sinless years, and you were tortured and unjustly murdered, but you didn't stay in that borrowed grave. If we believe that, if we believe that, then we have to understand that when all these things happen, folks, there's Christians all across this country right now are being beheaded or having their heads cut off by Islam. There's women being stoned by Islam. Right now, There are people being thrown off of buildings by Islam right now, even as I speak all around the world. Make no mistake, that will visit upon us. As I've said, I'm not going to be the guy in the jumpsuit. My jumpsuit's going to be very bloody. It's going to be a very bloody jumpsuit, and I'm going to do everything I can to kill as many of them as I can with whatever tools I have. I'll I'll, talk more about that tonight. Again, not just hyperbole. I mean what I say, I train for what I say, and I'll do what I say. And if they're going to take me, they're going to take me with some pain. So it says further, therefore, in verse 14, therefore stand, have the belt of truth buckled around your waist, put on the righteousness, put on righteousness for a breastplate. Folks, you can't put around your waist any sort of belt of truth if you don't know what the truth is. We're going to talk more about that in just a little bit. And wear on your feet the readiness that comes from the good news of shalom. You know why you can fight like a true warrior. And 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 I don't want to be. Uh, I I don't want to treat this too lightly, but I think it's important to understand Christian warriors, those who are saved by the grace of God and and know in whom they are, in whom they've believed and are redeemed by Him. Christians should be the greatest of warriors. We should be the greatest of warriors because we know we can fight. You know, Islam fights us and they don't care about dying. That's the thing. You know, people say, why would this crazy person... Stop asking the rattlesnake why it bites you. It just does. It's evil. Stop asking ISIS or Islam, Islam, why did you lie and say you were so nice, 9 11 hijackers and murderers? Why did you be neighbors for 10 years with people and go over and have barbecues and eat barbecued pork and go to strip clubs and do all these things? Why did you do that? Because they lie. Deception in in pursuit of jihad. That's part of their faith. That's what they do. But we're suckers. We believe all that. And then we spend a lot of time as the blade comes across our Why are you doing this? We need to stop asking that. Christians need to be the greatest of warriors of all time. I'll submit to you that Christians and Jews have been some of the greatest warriors of all time. Goes on to say, always carry the shield of trust with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of deliverance along with the sword given by the Spirit. That is the Word of God. But he uses yet another weapon analogy. Sword. That's what they had. They didn't they weren't blessed enough to have AR-15s, um, AR-10s, 308s, 338 lapuas, 45s. I could go on. They, they weren't blessed to have incendiary devices. They weren't blessed to have things that blow stuff up. They weren't, they weren't blessed to have those things. So what did they use? They used daggers and swords. So that's what they talked about. Look, I, I want to say this. These aren't just words. When I read these words of Scripture, when you look at the terror with which we are at war right now, it is obvious. That we're not fighting a particular country, we're not fighting a particular person with a global ambition, as in previous wars. You need to understand that. You know that was I always said. You know well, who cares if we get Bin Bin Laden? I'd like to get him, not like we got him. No offense to to Dev Grew and SEAL Team Six. You know um, I would have wanted his body paraded in front of all of America. Take it. Take his take his live body. Don't don't kill him if you can. Take him to New York City, take them to ground zero. You know how they love to create a monument where they've had a victory, Muslims. Read all about it. They love to do that. They love to create that. But instead, we take them there. Go ahead and get your stand on. Go ahead and get, look around. We rebuilt, loser. Then take him to Schwanksville and look at the monument there and say, this was built with no taxpayer money. This was all given. This was, this was gifts. There's no taxes used in this. Then take them to the Pentagon and say, second largest office complex in the world. You don't see any scars on that building, but you do see some memorials there. We remember. Just thought you'd like to see your handiwork. And oh, by the way, we're going to take you. Remember that train that um, Bill Norton talked about a couple weeks ago? The train across uh, the country that was that was done and every state was represented um, we're going to take you and we're going to give Americans the opportunity, free Americans, the opportunity to look you in the eye. And then you know what we're going to do? We're going to kill you. We're going to kill you savagely and we're going to kill you slow and are going to be a whole lot of pain involved for you. And you know what we're going to say while we're doing it? We're going to put in Arabic and Pashtun and whatever other language of your sick, sick friends, warning them, you think that we don't know that when we kill him there will be a hundred more, guess what? We have thousands more blades. We have thousands more bombs. We have thousands more bullets with your name on it. If you don't climb into the deepest, darkest hole that this world has, we will find you, and we will kill you. So help me, God. That is the kind of warrior that Christians need to be because we're not fighting a person bent on, I'm going to take over the world. No. No, this is a uniformless, coward enemy. So therefore, Christian brothers and sisters, traditional weapons, as much as I love them, I love me some traditional weapons, y'all. They aren't enough on their own. They are not enough on their own. And fortunately, God hasn't left you as a bunch of orphans. Orphans without resources. But you have to avail yourself. Remember what I said? Just to put, Look, if, if, you, if there's a weapon there, just like a drug, and you know, we have a doctor here, and, and if you prescribe to me something, you say, look, this will help you. This will save your life. But if I don't take that drug, guess what? It's great that I have it on the table. It was so close. It was right there on the table, on the lectern. Right there. It was within reach. I could have grabbed it. But I didn't, and I died. I can't blame the doctor. I can't blame the drug or the weapon to fight my illness to save my life. And I certainly can't blame God. We're not without resources, folks. We're not without resources. And the fact of the matter is we need to understand that we have to use the available resources. More in this as we go a little deeper. But I I want this in your mind as we proceed. Well, and I started off to say earlier in case you've been asleep, I mean, we're talking deep REM sleep. We're talking, you know, nine sleeping pills and, you know, whatever. Whatever it takes to get you to that place, uh, we're we're talking serious sleep. Unless you've been in there for uh, the past several months, here is what the church, through Hussein Obama, is doing in the name of the church. I stole this with permission from my dear friend and someone you should be listening to, quite frankly and reading weekly. She's nationally published every week. She's been a guest on my show several times, Andrea Shea King. Uh, we're in a think tank with her and and really a true, true patriot lady. And you want to talk about a warrior. Whew. God help them, they cross her. First, I want to give you some really great insight from my friend and my professor, Oxford PhD, um, Dr. Skip Moen of skipmoen.com. That's where you can find more of this stuff. Um, I thought this was very timely. This was actually his post for today. How amazing is this? And this is entitled, Come and Pray. The Jerusalem Talmud, Barakot 4-4 uh, through 8b. Pray. The word pray. The Jerusalem Talmud, the shorter of the two great collections of rabbinic material, includes the following instruction. Ready for this? One who is called upon to lead services is not told, Come and Pray. But come in Kerov, offer our sacrifices, seek out our needs, fight our wars. Weiss comments: the word Kerov here, meaning battle or combat, is related to the word Kerov or close. Uh, kerov or Kerov. Uh, it's Kerav is it means battle or combat is related to the word Kerov, close. This term perfectly captures the combative yet close, I should say. This term perfectly com- captures the combative yet intimate nature of prayer, the need to draw close to God in order to challenge Him. Look, we receive by faith. If your prayer lacks the belief that it will achieve its goal and be answered, then it won't. This is not him speaking, this is me. This is Doctor Sean, not Doctor Moen we receive by faith we have to have faith real faith not fake faith what do i say all the time hesitant faith is no faith at all if we don't believe then our faith cannot achieve its goal it can't it simply cannot the challenge folks is within ourselves if we're being honest the challenge is within ourselves do we do we have what it takes do we fear too much that god isn't listening or isn't able. Folks, I'm not afraid of ISIS. I'm not afraid of, of marauding Islam. I'm not afraid of communists. I'm not afraid of leftists. I'm not afraid of ultra-liberals. I'm not afraid of those things. They don't scare me. I'm not afraid of the low-information voter. I'm not afraid of the person with a blade or a bomb or a gun in his hand. Or woman, quite frankly. Folks, you do yourself a great disservice if you only identify males as a potential enemy because now the the big thing in Islam is for the women to take up arms and and damage as many and and the children and the children, so you've got to understand that look, but if you fear that God isn't listening or he isn't able you you are you need to understand fear eats faith fear consumes faith in order to live. It eats your faith up. It takes it away. It minimizes it. It reduces it to the extent that it's of no worth. Look, when we pray, you need to understand, when we pray, we are calling down fire. You remember Peter. You know, Peter, he was all the time asking Yeshua, you want me to, it's like the modern day, you want me to cut their tires, boss? I'll cut their tires. He was always talking about, you want me to call down fire? I'll call down fire on them. Yeah, Somebody wasn't doing what they are supposed to do. He was ready. He was a warrior. Yeah, he had his moments moments of weakness and fear. But how did he he live out his life? And if anyone should have escaped pain and torture and death in the name of Christ, wouldn't it have been Peter? The Rock? That's why I I need you to understand, folks, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're going to escape pain and suffering and sorrow in the name of this fight. We need to be praying, calling down fire. Jesus died this, so that we could come before God. I talk about that privilege all the time. If we were so privileged for uh, President Ronald Reagan to walk in this room right now, we'd talk to him, wouldn't we? We'd want to talk to him. We'd want But we would be privileged. We would feel the privilege, the high honor of talking to him. I've had the privilege over the years to meet incredible people, and I've, and I've felt honored to have met them and spent time with them. Imagine, imagine that we have the privilege and honor and the ability to reach out to God through prayer. Listen, Jesus died so we could come before God. Jesus came to undo the works of Satan. Every single evil thing Satan ever planned, ever did, he came to undo it. Therefore, we are in God's will when we pray for these things. All right, back to Dr. Moan. Have you prayed like this? Have you stood before the Lord and challenged him, fought with him, argued with him as Abraham did, as Moses did? Listen, who is it that did the wrestling match with God? He wrestled with God. Jacob wrestled with God. Nowadays it'd be MMA. He went all UFC on him. But the the bottom line is is uh, prayer sometimes is a wrestling match. I'm going to talk more about that in a second. This is this is listen, folks. If this is the kind of thing you've never heard before, you got to understand. Dr. Mowen is one of the greatest thinkers of our time, um, and this takes it. All of this can be backed up. I just need you to understand it. It's not crazy talk here. Have you considered the intimacy of argument, the fervor, the intensity? My dear friend Morty, 85-year-old Brooklyn Jew, Orthodox Jew, everything is an argument. You know, I take him soup. He says, Sean, you didn't make this soup. I said, Morty, I made the soup. You didn't make the soup, Sean. This is no way you made this soup, Sean. This soup is too good. There's no way you made this. I said, what, am I not capable of making the soup? My feelings could have been hurt, but what do you do? You just fire back. You fire back. The Jewish way, the Hebrew way, is to negotiate. The Hebrew worldview, right? We love people with the Hebrew worldview when, when they're getting us the deal, right? Such a deal. So that's what it is. It's the culture is the argument. It's the back and the forth. But at the end, they're your friend. They're your friend. Maybe your prayers aren't intense. Maybe I'm speaking to the paint here. Maybe maybe I'm talking to the. May, I don't know. Have you ever thought about how intense are my prayers? How much fervor? How much how much intimacy in this argument with God do I have? Are your prayers patterned along the lines the same socially acceptable the social etiquette of religion? Right. There's there's sort of this etiquette of prayer. You shake your head no, but you you've been in enough churches. You know there's just Sometimes people pray, and you think, man, I've heard this prayer a 100,000 times. Cautious plebeian pabulum designed more to placate than to debate. Where did we learn to pray as if we were imploring a policeman not to give us a ticket? Pretty, pretty, please, please don't give us a ticket to hell. Do you think Yeshua prayed like Walter Mitty? Was Moses' middle theme milk toast? Abraham Heschel wrote, and you guys know I love Heschel, wrote, a man's prayer is answered only if he stakes his life on it. Folks, we don't get answers to prayer because people pray a kindergarten prayer. That means prayer is a life and death activity. Where have you been while the cosmos is shaking and God is quaking? The religious community opines about spiritual warfare quite often, but the problem seems to be that we expect some angelic host to do the fighting for us, right? How many people do you know that say, well, that's why we have a police force, that's why we have an army, that's why we have a Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, Coast Guard? That's why we have a clandestine service, so they can do the fighting for us. Listen, folks, I need to make this pointedly clear. I won't feel good about myself. I won't feel mission accomplished tonight. Understand that each one that is listening to my voice, each one in this room and around the world on this radio audience, you have to grasp that you are either a warrior or you are a victim. You are either a warrior or you're a victim. will talk more about that in a second. We plead for intervention instead of sharpening the weapons. We have been given. We bow our heads and fold our hands like good little supplicants instead of slicing our way into the presence of the Most High. Blood running down the thigh as we cut apart his inattention to the matter. O oh Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? That's the opening of an amazing battle. Oh, by the way, it's in the Old Testament. It is not a battle with the forces of darkness, the evil demons or Lucifer, as is so popular among those who have accepted medieval views of the enemy. It is a battle with Yahweh. An attempt to argue that Yahweh's decision is incorrect. How many great, great men and women of God argued with God until they understood God, obeyed God. Not where God convinced them but to where they surrendered fully and completely. Battle implements in hand. It is a man, Moses. You've got to be kidding me. Is this even conceivable? But of course it is. We look back and the great, great people of God were fighters. It is intimate argument, the kind I suspect that God loves. How much more do you think he appreciates? No. Relishes prayer that is so intense that it is unafraid to object would you rather have a passive compliant have passive compliance or fervent dispute who taught you the kindergarten view of prayer and why do you insist on remaining a child as it is said the time of prayer is a time of combat folks that is from um, dr skipmoan skipmoan.com uh, a word a day powerful stuff Listen, it's Sunday morning, it's Sunday evening now, all across America. Is your church lobbying Congress for 100,000 Syrians to be admitted to the United States? This was posted by Ann Corcoran uh, today. You need to understand this. This is what's happening within the church. I'm using air quotes for the radio audience. Yes, it probably is. And if it is one of 37 member communions of the National Council of Churches. We're going to talk about an evil organization. Now there's an editor's note here. This post is about Church World Service, one of the nine major federal resettlement contractors, pulling out all the stops in a massive PR campaign to go beyond Obama's plan to bring in 10,000 mostly Muslim Syrians this fiscal year. Also involved in the campaign is the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Catholic Charities, Episcopal Migration Ministries, Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, which, by the way, isn't run by Jews, and Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service. This is what the Church World Service head honcho has to say about the propaganda campaign being launched in your churches. Not here, folks, because they didn't knock on our door. They know better. We see them as the enemy they are. Reverend, I say that with a face. Reverend John L. McCullough arrested at the White House in 2014 while protesting for amnesty for illegal aliens. There's a picture on the internet about this guy. He's protesting in the White House, even though he's a friend of the president, for amnesty for illegal aliens. Look, folks, these are not churches. These are left-wing community organizers who, as I said before, are using the tax code against you. They want you to pay. They don't want to pay. They want you to pay. McCullough pulls down a handsome six-figure salary partially funded by United States taxpayers to do his no-borders political activities. See also, Leo Holman's lengthy article at World Net Daily, which World Net Daily is also a place where you can find Andrea Shea King. He wrote an article yesterday, Leo Holman, uh, on the campaign for Muslim migration to your towns and your cities from the Northwestern, which appears to be using... uh, the Church World Service press release almost verbatim. Responding to recent announcements that certain governors will not accept Syrian refugees for resettlement in their states, Church World Service president and CEO, the Reverend John L. McCullough, urged public officials to avoid knee-jerk reactions to reject misplaced blame and to stand in solidarity with Syrian refugees who are themselves victims of ISIS. The terrorist attacks in Paris will certainly change our world. There may be little, what was it? It was, according to the president, Hussein Obama, it was a setback. That's what he called it. In front of the world, he called what happened in Paris. There may be little that we can do individually to stop the horrors of terrorism, but we can at least offer shelter and support of the families fleeing violence in their own country. You know what we did in our country when that stuff happened here? We fought. The men, the 18 to 34 years old, younger, I guess Americans can fight younger, uh, as young as 13 or 14, were taking up arms. In the founding of our nation, in the fighting, the bloodshed, they were taking up arms. We stood and we fought for our land. Maybe they should do the same, if in fact they are who they say they are. Please look at the reports on refugees published by the Church World Service. Visit cwsglobal.org. And if if you go there, I'm just saying, this is in the article, this is Dr. Sean speaking. It's laughable. Basically what they are is an information sharing service with the U.N. I told you last week on Sunday and on Monday that the U.N. is now a fundraising uh, organization. And they're all about the agenda that's pushed forth from the left. You'll see. You may also consider contacting your senator and representatives in Congress and encouraging them To authorize the acceptance of 100,000 Syrian refugees into the United States, a number suggested by the National Council of Churches, by the way, rather than the 10,000 the government is currently considering. Understand, Hussein Obama is using the word 10,000, but the goal is 100,000. You need to also understand that in the past couple of years, over 780,000 have been brought into this country with no knowledge of the average citizen. Why? Catholic charities does not have to report to the American people. Religious organizations are exempt from that. You think Obama went to law school and didn't learn anything? Listen, Saul Alinsky knows how to use the laws against us even when it comes to churches. Oh, and don't forget to send us money. They're a huge fundraising church. War, yeah, huge. Please consider sending a, a donation to the Church World Service to support the refugee programs and contacting representatives in Congress to encourage opening our doors to accept many more refugees. And by the way, Church World Service was the major contractor that came to the writer uh, of this, Ms. Corcoran, uh, came to their county back in 2007 that first drew her into this issue. Are you a member of the following uh, faith communities? If so, it's time to stand up to your church. Did you hear what I just said? It's time to stand up to your church. Did you ever think you'd have to say that? Listen, there's some people here that have had to go to church to church to try to find a church that's not liberal in their area. There's lots of people who have been in church their whole life and are hearing what I'm saying and going, Man, you got to be nuts, dude. What's wrong with you? Because it's so foreign. Because the church has become milquetoast. The church has become kindergarten prayers. We haven't become warriors. We've become whiners. Listen, I'm going to give you this handy list. These folks at these churches are very, very active and hard left. I mean, hard left community organizing. Uh, and you want to add the USCCB and the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society No, all the gangs all here. Now, some of you may be offended by this list. I'm going to read it just for fun. African Methodist Episcopal Church, which, by the way, got its origin in Sussex County, Delaware. Did you know that? started in Delaware. The African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church. Now, let me go back and just say that in their origin, they weren't a leftist organization. But what happened? Politics. In my book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. I talk about how instead of politics being impacted by the church, what happened? The church became whiners and wimps by the politician. Okay, I'm going to continue reading. Alliance of Baptists, American Baptist churches in the USA, Armenian Church of America, Eastern and Western dio- uh, dioceses, Christian Church, the Disciples of Christ in the United States and Canada, Christian Methodist Episcopal Church, Church of the Brethren, community of, which, amazing, Church of the Brethren, I don't know if you know, uh, was really a biblical a really uh, super biblical sect. And what happened? They're bored, got taken over by leftists. And this is what they're doing all across America, not just in churches. They're doing it in school boards, they're doing it all over America. They're running people for the smallest uh political post and they get promoted and then what happens? Community of Christ, Coptic Orthodox Archdiocese of North America. Now we have a Coptic church uh, here in uh, actually, it's in Newark, off Oates of Chapel Road. You need to understand that that the uh, the bishop uh, in charge of that church is not a leftist and is not affiliated with this at all. He's a hardcore dude, um, and he's he's for real. He is for real. The Ecumenical Catholic Communion, which by the way is not sanctioned by the Catholic Church, the Episcopal Church USA. By the way, the first air quotes, church, to petition for transgender priests to serve in the church. Not, not, uh, you, you know, gay, transgender. Was a boy, was a girl, now a boy or a girl. Different. I don't know. They were the first ones. Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. They're the ones with those cool little doves flying, and it says war is not the answer. EFCW is what they go uh, by. You know they're the same ones with the exist stickers. Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of America. You need to understand that the Greek people right now going through hell. I have people in Greece. I'm telling you, they're going through hell. The press is refusing to, and we're going to talk about that. I'm not going to get through all of it today because you all talk too much. Um, International Council of Community Churches, Korean Presbyterian Church Abroad. Understand that they don't just take over. Uh, American English-speaking churches in America, they seek to take over other churches because they know how our laws work. Melankara Orthodox Syrian Church, American Diocese, Martoma, Martoma Church, Moravian Church in America, Northern and Southern Provinces, National Baptist Convention of America, Inc. National Baptist Convention USA, Inc. National Missionary Baptist Convention, Of America used to be a super, super conservative organization. Got taken over little by little, board member by board member, and now they're a leftist organization. Orthodox Church in America, patriarchal parishes of the Russian Orthodox Church in the United States of America. Polish National Catholic Church used to be one of the most conservative Catholic organizations known to man been taken over. Now, this next one's going to shock you, given the name. Progressive National Baptist Convention. Reformed Church in America. Religious Society of Friends. Friends United Meeting. Now, you guys understand Friends. There's a very expensive school in Wilmington, Delaware. I have two dear friends who had both of their, you know, both kids went there. Very good education. Extremely expensive. Very good education, but extraordinarily leftist and pacifist. Uh, they're not, neither of those, because they have good, strong, conservative parents. But the fact of the matter is, when you see this, you understand that Friends also participated, the Friends Church participated in the, uh, remember the, um, what is it called? There's a word for it, the flotilla. Uh, they were saying that they were taking to Palestine all these uh, good things, and it was three three 300,000 bullets. Uh You know, a 1,000 rifles, shoulder-fired rocket launch. I mean, you know, okay, I guess they're going to eat that for the lead. I don't know. Is there a lead shortage? I don't think so. So you can't believe what you're hearing. Religious Society of Friends, ready for this? Philadelphia, yearly meeting. Serbian Orthodox Church in North and South America. Sweden Borgian Church of North America. Now, we know what's happened in Sweden, right? Sweden is in terrible, terrible straits terrible straits. As a country, they are collapsing financially. Why? Because they wanted to adopt what they thought was a utopian society where you give everybody everything. And what's happening? They had open borders. They have no way of stopping this this flow that started as a trickle. Hey, this is easy. Come over here. You come in through Sweden. It's easy. What am I? Count well, from uh, what is that? What is, Sesame Street now. we are going to work on that. Syrian Orthodox Church of Antioch, Archdiocese of the Eastern United States. Ukrainian Orthodox Church of the USA, United Church of Christ. Who do we know that's affiliated with that denomination? Jeremiah Wright. The United Methodist Church. Tragic, right? Tragic. My great times five grandfather, Elijah Covington, Came to the United States to the Eastern Shore of Maryland many many years ago and founded 18 Methodist churches. George Whitfield was a Methodist. But funny thing about my great 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 uh, grandfather Elijah Covington, he was eventually excommunicated from the Methodist Church back then for being too fire hellfire and brimstone. If you can imagine. Now I want to share and. Goodness, we only have nine minutes. I'm not going to get through all this, but don't fret. Wherever we stop, we'll continue. That's why it's really important. If you have the opportunity to share this with a friend, send them the link. Go to the ninjapastor.com. Go to the blog section. I'll put the link there every week. We're going to have that. I'm also going to do some writing there to make that a little bit more of a, a vibrant place. Welcome all of you to uh, to chat. You're awesome. What a buzzing. Those folks are buzzing in there. Anyhow, all that said to say this. Uh, I'm going to share some practical advice, if I don't get through all of it, which I don't think I will, on what you should be preparing to do when a Paris-like situation occurs here. Now, uh, most of this this was written by Brent Wheat. Uh, it was posted on November 15th. He is a um, bearing arms uh, author, and I think he's one of the founders. And, but he says this, In light of Friday's terrorist attacks, it seems only a matter of time before similar incidents occur in the United States. To help answer that concern, bearing arms, We'll offer a list of ten things you can do to avoid becoming casualty, becoming a casualty of the war on terror. Number one: realize what do I say this? I say this all the time. Realize it will happen here. Put out of your mind the notion that hey, you know what? I don't think that can happen here, folks. We never. Uh, I have a dear friend. I go down and visit downstate, and my dear friend just shakes their head all the time, and they say, can you believe that after 9-11, we elected a guy named Barack Hussein Obama? Let all your notions of we're above that and all this stuff go. Let all that kindergarten, fold your hands, you know, let all that wimpy, wimpy, whiny crap go. Folks, we ought to have had better sense than, to, you're going to run for what? Get out of here. Get out of here and go back, crawl into the Chicago hole you came from and where else you came from. We don't even know because you spent millions of dollars hiding your origin, hiding and obscuring your, your academic records. You're going to run for of this country? Oh, no, you're not. Oh, no, you're not. You're not running for this country. No, you're not. But what do we do? We allowed him to run. You say, well, it's open to everybody. We're an open society. No, we're not. That's That's where Chris Ann Hall really speak so powerfully because she cuts through all that crap and says, she says it better than I do, but um, we're on the same page. Listen, folks, we are not an open, anybody in the world can run for president. No, you can't. President Barack Obama, Barack Hussein Obama, did you know this? This is going to shock some of you. Could not be a visitor in the White House. His own Eric Holder could not have been a visitor in the White House had they not been president and attorney general because of their criminal affiliations and their sketchy past. And now what do we have? We have Muslim Brotherhood all up in the White House. We have Muslim Brotherhood in the Department of Defense and Department of Homeland Security. That's a fact, folks. You've got to realize that this realize it will happen here is not not a paranoid statement. It is a simple, unpleasant fact based on intelligence-gathering efforts, expert opinion, and common sense. At some point, it is likely there will be a coordinated Paris-type attack in the United States on schools, shopping malls, sporting events, or other mass-gathering areas. And don't think it would happen only in New York or Chicago or Los Angeles, because what would be better to create fear, the ultimate goal of terrorist actions anyway, than by killing dozens or hundreds of people at a school in rural Mississippi or at a shopping mall in Montana? And we'll say this. You go ahead and pull that crap in Montana, you're going to see some folks with a six-gun or, or ARs or a 308 in the back of their truck, and they, will, they are not going to run and hide. They're not going to shelter in place. They're going to find a way to get to their vehicle and get their long gun, and they'll fight their way out, and they'll fight their way back in. And I'm not talking about the police. I'm talking about the citizens. Go ahead and attack Montana. and See what you get. Always, this is number two, always carry a concealed firearm where legal. Carrying a firearm is a lifestyle habit, not something you should only do when you feel it is likely there will be trouble. I see some heads bobbing. Yep. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I used to do that, but now I don't. I carry all the time everywhere. Everywhere it's legal. Except Maryland. Good lands. You don't do this when you feel it's likely there will be trouble. Odds are you won't correctly guess the date, time, or place of life-threatening violence. Look, if that were the case, if you could actually do that, nobody would pay for homeowner's insurance, for fire insurance, until they started seeing the flames. If you could actually go, you know, I think I've, I feel I smell a fire start, and I'm going to get me some insurance so I don't waste all my money. Look, that's just not reasonable, and neither is this. You carry, if you have your concealed carry permit, do it all the time. A concealed firearm in the hands of a responsible and trained individual is statistically one of the best tools available to stop mass killings. Folks, I'm going to talk more about this on tomorrow's show, The Collision of Faith and Politics. It's on from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's free to listen. Not free to do, but it's free to listen. I would encourage you to listen. Oh, one of our listeners uh, uh, in chat Uh, I saved a lady's life last year by having a weapon at hand. Good job. That's reality, folks. That's reality. If you listen to the left, what have they always been trying to do? And this cracks me up, uh, and and it makes me a little bit angry that the American public is so gullible. What's the first thing the leftists in the United States, including our president, start talking about when the Paris uh, event happens? Right? Gun control. Right? That, see that? That, that? Look right there. We need more gun control. We Now, if ever there was proof that we needed gun control, guess what? We need to do this. Because look <laughs> what happened in Paris. Oh, no, by the way, Paris's gun restrictions are are draconian compared to ours. That's reality. Folks, join me tomorrow on the Collision of Faith and Politics. I want you to join me because tomorrow is going to be a wild show. It's going to be full up all two hours. Um, outside of clicking on uh, a, a brief break to get a drink of water or something, it's going to be hardcore. I have about five hours of stuff I've got to shove into two hours, so we'll have to get with it. I appreciate you. Um, and and uh, th- this person in, in chat uh, goes by COG. The city and police union gave me an award for doing that. Now, that's a good city. Because most places, they want to lock you up. Uh, but we can't, we can't stand for that, folks. We have to decide, we have to resolve, and then we have to stand. That's a fact. Join me next week. Thank you so much for joining me today. We appreciate our guest here. If you were here, you'd get to be part of a vibrant Q&A and then listen to some awesome music and maybe eat some more. So that ought to tell you. Come and join us next week. Thank you so much for joining us today. Share this with a friend. Visit TheNinjaPastor.com and click on the Donate button
0: if you are so inclined. Amen. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, at www.drseangreener.com. Join us during the week. and In the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.